the Old Testament today, and uh, you may have picked that up. There's so many things in the Bible, uh, especially in the Old Testament, that should never end up as a mural for like a kid's wing or children's ministry or that kind of thing. Uh, but I know we kind of start off with a lot of those stories, and, and maybe if you grew up in church, you remember in Sunday school learning about Noah's Ark, and like that's one of those things that ends up a lot of times being a, a mural or, or like a theme for like a nursery or that kind of thing. You really think about that, especially as you get older. You think about how weird that, weird that really is. I mean, it's cute, right? You got the boat and it's floating around in the water and you got the animals two by two. And so it's cute. You got the animals and you got this kindly old gentleman who's leading them and stuff. But you think about like the water and the destruction of the earth and like all the death and, you know, th- anyway, it, it becomes just a little bit different when you read the Bible more and kind of understand those stories in their context a little bit, uh, a little bit different. It, it's a whole new, whole different experience. And so we're going to be talking about the Old Testament. We're going to be talking about what it is, uh, kind of an overview, 35,000 feet view of, of the Old Testament, how it impacts and connects to the New Testament uh, th- this morning. But I want to I just kind of reshare some things that we dealt with last week, and the way that I want to do that is actually by teaching you guys a song. Um, I, we'll see how this goes. It went all right in, in first service. Some of, some, of, uh, some of the folks in first service actually knew the song. And so this is a song that I learned in Sunday school. And I, I think about the people, the men and women who volunteered in children's ministry that were able to kind of help me experience the Bible, and I'm so grateful for that. But one of the things I think about when I think about the Bible and reading it and studying it, I think about this song. All right, you guys ready for this? <clears throat> First service was more excited about this song than you guys are. It's making, it's making me nervous. <clears throat> All right, here we go. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, Bible. You guys know that? Some of you know that song? All right. So there's, uh, <clears throat> there's uh, other cool, cool songs. Like there's a song, every time I think about the fruit of the spirit, I'm able to rattle those off because I'm singing a song in my head. And, and so those, those kind of help out. But there's a lyric in that song that I learned as a kid. I stand alone on the word of God. Like that, that means something different to me now than it did when I was a kid. That, that phrase is so much more nuanced, it's so much more complicated, it's so much more, it has so much more of a deeper and richer meaning in my life, that, that as, as we're talking about the Bible and what it is and why it matters and how it keeps changing the world, that we, we said last week it, it's transformative when we read it, it changes our life. As a church, um, the Bible is our number one core value. Like, we rest on its authority for our belief and our faith and practice. We ask ourselves, is, is that in the Bible? Like, th- does it actually say that? And is, is that what that really means? And that kind of helps inform who we are as a church, why we do what we do, why we talk about, uh, why we talk about, why we point to God through Jesus the way, the way that we do. And we've, uh, we define the Bible, we kind of gave a definition for this sermon series as to how we're thinking about the Bible. And we said this, we said the Bible is God's preserved message of his redemption of and his relationship with humanity. And when we read it, when we engage with it, when we study the Bible, it changes our lives. And so last week I gave a, a challenge for uh, everybody to, for the next four weeks, to read the Bible at least four times a week for 10 minutes and see how that changes and how that impacts your life. I was talking with somebody earlier this week that's been practicing this, and they talked about how it's changed the tone of their day. 
and how they've engaged with God's word in the morning um, and reading that and spending that time. So I want to encourage, encourage you to do that. Now, we're talking about the Old Testament this morning because you might be the type of person, even though last week I said, well, if, if, if you want to get started in a Bible reading, maybe start with John, you might look and see in the table of contents, John is nowhere near the beginning. And so most of us probably like to start with books at the beginning. Are, are you with, like most of, most of us would start there. I have a friend. Actually, I'm going to sell her out. It's my sister. <clears throat> She's not here, so she can't defend herself. Um, she actually will go, when she goes to Barnes & Noble or something like that, sees a book that she's interested in. Um, and I don't understand this, but she flips her all the way to the back, last few pages, and she will read the conclusion of the story to see whether or not she's going to waste her time with the book. And anybody, anybody else do that to see? Like, because based on what they do at the end, because look, I mean, some of y'all are pretty disappointed about how some shows ended, right? <clears throat> like how horrible Lost is because of the last episode, and it's the worst show ever. It's like, my wife's not in here this service, so I can say that. I didn't say that first service. Now, so here's the deal about the Old Testament. It's the part one of the Bible. And so if you were to take your, your paper Bible and kind of open it up and hold how big the section of Old Testament would be versus New Testament in my Bible, the Old Testament's about that thick, and the New Testament's about that thick. All right, so it's got a lot of information there. It's made of 39 different books that are all kinds of different forms of literature uh, versus the New Testament's 27 books. And it's mostly written in Hebrew, which is a little bit of Aramaic sprinkled in. Uh, there's a chunk in Daniel from chapters 2 through 7. This is what Hebrew looks like. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with that. A couple of unique things about Hebrew. Aramaic looks very similar to this. Um, so I, I didn't... We, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference by just looking at it on the screen. Uh, a couple interesting things about Hebrew is, one, is that you would read it from right to left. And so um, if you were to open up a Hebrew Bible, you would actually flip it over to what we're used to being the back of, the bi- uh, back of a book, and you would read it from there, from right to left. Um, when, when we read it and when we study it, we actually, instead of just having those letters, all those letters are just consonants. And so uh, there are vowel pointings that, that come along with Hebrew to kind of help us be able to pronounce it and that kind of thing. And so a lot of times if you were to look at the text, you would see a lot of dots and lines that kind of help us uh, to do that. But originally they didn't have that and didn't need that because they understood that, what, what they were saying. And that may sound weird, like just reading words with just consonants, but think about how you text these days and how you shorten words and that kind of thing. Like we, 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 know, we know what we mean when we're saying those kinds of things. And the Christian Bible, <coughs> Old Testament, is broken up into these sections, which you, these are kind of neat to know. If you're to look in your table of contents, you're going to see um, these books kind of outlined in this way, but you might not see the sections and the type um, of, I'll say, literature that, uh, categories that these writings fall under. And so the first five books of the Bible are called the Torah, which is the law, you might also see this called the Pentateuch, uh, Penta meaning five, and so these are just the first five uh, books of the Bible written by Moses. Um, And so this deals with creation, it deals with sin coming into the world, it deals with the establishment of the nation of Israel um, and the beginning of that history. The history books deal with the rise and fall and then redemption of Israel and how they uh, connect with God's law and what he's told them to do and how they disconnect with it, all those kinds of things. Um, <clears throat> then you've got books of poetry. And when you think about poetry, you might think of like these flowery, like skipping through the fields, cotton candy, cloud, you know, type thing. That's not what these books of poetry are. Although Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, that gets interesting. So you get a little bit of that uh, there. 
Um, and so you can check that out. But uh, some of you might remember several uh, sermon series ago, we did a sermon series on the book of Job. And so while that's more of kind of like an epic poem is probably the best way to think of that about that. It deals with pain. It deals with suffering. Like these are not flowery uh, things that you, maybe you want to, but you know that are real uh, and, and deal with life. And then you've got prophets. The prophets are broken down into major and minor prophets, but that doesn't mean that the major are more important. It just means they're, they're more long-winded. <laughs> they, they write more than some of the minor prophets do. And those deal with um, God's message to to his people, messages of uh, reminders of who God is and what his promise, promises are, messages of repentance, and messages of redemption. And so none of these are, are necessarily in chronological order. They're more categorized uh, than anything, not necessarily chronologically when they were written. And, and one of the unique cool things about the Old Testament is that it actually, we share the same scripture text in the Old Testament as in the Jewish Bible, okay? Now, theirs isn't called the Old Testament because it's, that is the entirety of, of, of their Bible. But we share those same uh, texts. We share that same faith, tradition, ancestry, uh, and commonality with, um, with, uh, uh, with the Jewish scripture. The Old Testament, if I were to ask, and I'm not going to, but if I was to ask for a raise of hand, like how many people have, re- have, you, have read every word through the Old Testament? Probably most of us would not raise our hands because it's a long read. It can be intimidating. It's written thousands of years ago in a culture and a language that's unfamiliar to us situationally. You know, we haven't lived through some of those things. And we might understand some of those things if we're a student of history, in particular uh, ancient Near, Near Eastern history, and we might be able to connect on, on some level with those things. But there are a lot of things about the Old Testament that can be uh, intimidating that we might, uh, might not read much at all for it. Um, so here, here's the first thing, and here's the big thing that's going to, this is the view that we're going to take of the Old Testament to kind of help us understand why we should read it and why it matters and why it's a part of our Bible. And, and this is not, and some of you have read the text, and so you know that the Old Testament deals with creation, it deals with sin coming into the world and how God responds to that um, through the nation of Israel. But the biggest thing I think that's important to know about the Old Testament actually has to do with this name that we've given it that is not a part of the original collection of, of writings. And that's, that's the word testament. That actually, that's not the best word to describe what this is. A better word to describe the Old Testament and even in the New Testament would be the word covenant. Covenant is not a word that we use a whole lot in our context. Testament, you know, we think of the last will and testament, so this is what happens after somebody dies, and these are the results of that. Covenant, though, is an agreement between two people or two groups that involves promises on the part of each to the other. And so when we talk about the Bible, when we talk about the Old and New Testaments, we're actually talking about an Old and New Covenant. That is, God has stayed consistent through what he calls us to and what he promises for us throughout time and throughout history, the way that we relate to him has changed because of our ability to respond to his call. And so the old covenant is, is how we used to have to relate to God. The New Testament is how that has changed through Jesus. There are multiple covenants that God makes with mankind throughout the Old Testament. One example would be Noah. 
like I mentioned earlier, God points to the rainbow and tells Noah, this is my covenant with you, this is my promise, that I'm never going to destroy the earth with a flood like I did in the past. And so that still impacts us today. We still see rainbows occasionally, and they're great, especially when it's a double rainbow. What does this mean? Um, and, and while that covenant still impacts us today, there's, there's another one that makes a much more clear line and connection between the old and new covenants. And so we're going to be talking about this this morning. It's in Genesis chapter 12, and we meet this guy named Abram who lived in ancient Mesopotamia that God approached and talked to and called for him to leave his home and his family and go live in another land. And so in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1, the Lord says to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. The context in which all this covenant is made, this promise is made, and promise is made, and you have to read through the previous chapters in Genesis, is that God has created the world. He established a garden for humanity to live in, to enjoy relationship with him. But the first people, Adam and Eve, they mess it up. And by the way, all of us would have done the same thing. They represent all of us in that situation. And they broke their relationship with God that he had designed for them to enjoy. And when we do that, it's called sin. And the pattern of the Old Testament is how God chooses to respond to that sin that keeps us from his promise. And that pattern that exists within the Old Testament, which proves to be true in our own lives as well, is this. Is that God starts with a call. He pursues us. He then establishes a covenant with us, an agreement between us and him that includes the promises that he wants for us to enjoy. We mess that up, and we, we deny the terms of that covenant, which leads to us wandering in the wilderness of our life. And yet still, despite all of that, God chooses to redeem us so that there can be a reconciliation between us and between him. You see individuals fall into that pattern, and even an entire nation, the nation of Israel that comes from the line of Abram, they fall into that pattern as well throughout the Old Testament. It's, it's a cycle maybe that sounds familiar if we start to explain that in our lives. Maybe this sounds familiar to you. You've had this conversation. Hey, come here. I want to show you this really cool thing. And here, here's, here's what I want you to do with this really cool thing. This is, this is how you do it. Okay, don't, don't, don't do it that way. If you do it that way, you're going to get hurt. So don't See, you got hurt. I told you if you did it, if you didn't listen to me, this is what was going to happen in your life. But I tell you what, I'll fix it. I'll, I'll take care of it. Let's try it again, and this time do it with me. If you haven't had this conversation with someone else, someone else has had this conversation with you in, in your life. You've seen that pattern. It's the pattern we enter into, and you see it constantly throughout the Old Testament. And it may sound Especially if you read it, you say, man, there's, there's a whole lot of repetition. There's a lot of similar stories that are happening here. Why does this keep going on? It sounds maybe exhausting to, to read through that and study through that. Well, imagine how God feels. Because that's what we do in our relationship with him. 
is that he gives us a promise, he calls us to that promise, and we're like, oh man, that sounds great, let's do it, squirrel, you know, and we go off and do our own thing, and then we realize, wait, what, what happened? Like, where's God in all this? Oh, that's right, like, I've wandered away from him because I ignored everything he said, and yet he still is willing to pursue us regardless of what we've done. So that's what our sin does for us. It knocks us off the path of life God designed for us to experience. It's painful, but God offers us an opportunity to experience his promises. It's what the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, is all about in a nutshell. And if you keep reading about Abram's life, one of the reasons why he's such a great example and why the covenant God makes with him connects us to the New Testament and the New Covenant is that you see that despite the fact that he makes some considerable, very, very serious mistakes along the way and, and just outright sins, despite the fact God calling him to live a certain way, God still stays faithful to the promise that he makes to him. So let's jump forward to Genesis chapter 17, where Abram is 99 years old, and the Lord appears to him and says, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, which means father of a multitude. For I have made you a father of many nations. And, and in between chapters 12 and 17, you get a picture of what's gone on in Abram's life before he becomes Abraham. That that he thought that this idea of him becoming a father of many nations, he didn't have any kids up to this point. And so his solution, as many times, you know, we, we think we ought to take things in our own hand, was to decide to sleep with his, one of his servants to give him a child because that always makes everything better. Like that's, that's, how you, that's a great solution every time is to sleep with someone not your wife. And so, so he does this, and he has a kid, and he has a kid, Ishmael, and he's like, oh, that's, this must be the promise that God is talking about. And he's like, no. No, your wife, Sarah, she's going to have a kid, and that's, that's who the promise is going to be through. This is what I tried to get you to understand, but you took, took the reins of your life yourself and see where that leads you. By the way, just to understand like how far-reaching our sin can affect us and affect and have a ripple effect, like Ishmael is considered the forefather of Muhammad. And you think about historically the relationship between Isaac's offspring and Ishmael's offspring, and you see, man, when we don't stay faithful to the covenant that God has established with us, we, we end up often in really a really bad spot in our life. There's so many problems that are created by sin, but look at, look at what all this shows about God. God continues to repeat his covenant, he fulfills his promise, and he sets in motion through Abraham's life the events that despite his sin, despite the fact that he broke the covenant, that will bring about Jesus. The blessing to all the nations that he told Abraham his bloodline would produce. The pattern of the Old Testament is the pattern of humanity. God calls us into relationship and we miss the mark, yet he redeems us to enable us to have the relationship for which we were created. That's what he does over and over again. And one of the popular criticisms of the Old Testament is that when you read it and you read the New Testament, that you see what seems to be a different God between the texts. The God of the Old Testament seems really angry, really wrathful, uh, talking about vengeance a whole lot. But Jesus, he's, man, he's talking about grace and mercy and love. 
And, and why is there this difference? And maybe you've heard that criticism, maybe you've thought it before and wondered, uh, wondered that about yourself. First thing I'll say is, well, if you think Jesus only talked about grace, mercy, and love, then you haven't read everything he said. And if you think God is only angry in the Old Testament, then you certainly haven't written, read everything he said there. But here's, here's, here's what I'll say. While there are certainly difficult things to navigate, to be sure, that view that it's a different God and that God's more angry in one than the other is actually a symptom of the problem that the Old Testament identifies in us and that we have. And that's this. In light of God's holiness, our depravity is deserving of his wrath. I, I think we're disconnected enough from the historical context of the Old Testament that sometimes we don't realize precisely how evil humanity can get and can be and how love has to respond to that sometimes and, and that the problem really resides with us instead of giving us what we deserve God makes a way for us to receive the relationship he's always desired to have with us and ever since sin has entered the world God has had a plan to redeem us from that sin you read the story of Adam and Eve, and right after they sin, God, God tells them, hey, this is what you're going to have to deal with now. This is the consequences of it, but eventually this is going to be taken care of. And the more time has marched on, the more we see evidence that we need such a plan from God. I'm sure all of us or many of us have heard of the tragic events that happened in Virginia Beach this past week. And, it, and it's a shame how normative that seems like those types of events are becoming in our society and in our culture. And we respond to that in a lot of different ways. You know, this, this idea that somebody in that much pain would try to indiscriminately spread that pain to so many more people. And we look at that and we think, man, how, how awful that is. What, what can we do to stop this, to make sure this doesn't happen again? And to me, it's a sharp reminder that no matter how much more intelligent or enlightened we may think we are, in the midst of our sadness and outrage, we still haven't managed to find an answer for the darkness that resides in the heart of humankind. We, we, we in our pain and our sorrow for that, we try to think, man, maybe, maybe it's about passing more laws. Maybe it's about teaching more common human decency. And while all those things are good to do and to explore, and it, it still doesn't take care of the ultimate problem that we have, is that we, we've got something broken within us, that we have a heart problem, that we have a covenant problem, that we're, we're not experiencing the promises of God because, because of our own brokenness, the way we wander off and deny what he says about how we're all, we ought to experience life. And in the Old Testament, God systematically shows how he can pave the way for us with law-keeping, with uh, keeping, keeping his people separate from everybody else in the world by eradicating evil uh, um, from, from among his people, by giving chance after chance after chance. And we still can't manage to make it happen, fulfill our end of the covenant, even when he spelled it all out for us. And it would be totally within his prerogative to let us suffer the full brunt of those consequences we deserve. And yet his response is this. This is what I want you to do so I can bless you. But I know you're not going to quite make it. And so I'm going to make sure it happens. This is what he does with Abraham. This is what he does with us. God calls us 
and he enables us to answer his call so that when we follow God, we can trust that we'll end up exactly where we're supposed to be. That's constantly the story of the, uh, of the Old Testament and the, the Israelite nation is that they wander off and God pursues them and redeems them and brings them back to himself. It's the, nation, it's the message to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. It's the message to us in the New Testament. That like Abram, Abraham, who left everything he ever knew at 75 years old to follow God and become the forefather of, people, of the people through which Jesus Christ would be born, the Old Testament being the history of all that, like that, that same invitation is true for us as well that God makes for us through Jesus. And Jesus affirms this himself for his disciples. He says to them in Luke chapter 20, verse, 24, verse 44, he says, This is what I told you while I was still with you. This is after his resurrection. He says, Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant is all about leading us to Jesus. The covenant that God makes with Abraham is all about leading us to Jesus. And that's, that's why it matters. That's why it's transformative for us is to understand how God moves throughout humanity to show us that he's the solution that we need. And so as much as we might think, oh, we, we can do this and we've got the right ideas to get us to the place that we need to be, need to be God shows us through the nation of Israel. It's like, no, look, we've tried all these things. We've, we've tried all these ideas, and, and, and you can't do this. And I know you can't, and so that's why I'm going to send Jesus. And that's why it was the plan all the way at the beginning. And so hopefully, I, I hope that helps you understand a little bit more about why the Old Testament matters and how it plays, plays into our reading and how it impacts how we understand who Jesus is and how much time and effort um, that God has poured into history and into humanity to bring us to this place to understand that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. A couple things I want to remind you as far as, as help. So if you dive into the Genesis this week, these are some things that are going to be helpful uh, to you. One is, I just want to remind you of the YouVersion Bible app. We have Bibles for free in the lo- out in the lobby, but you can read, you can listen, you can watch um, on the YouVersion Bible app. There are reading plans that will help to remind you, that make it really easy. You can le- um, On your way to work, you can listen to Scripture. It will play it for you. And so I want to recommend that you check that out. And the second thing is, especially if you're going to dive into the Old Testament, is I want to recommend thebibleproject.com to you because the Bible Project helps to establish some of those things that we don't know about, the context and the history and the setting and the different types of literature that some of these writings are uh, to help us better grasp and understand what God is trying to communicate to us through his word in those texts. But here, here are three things, and each week I'm, I'm, I want to add just something a little bit new uh, for us and how we read the Bible that are, that are going to change, change things for you if you don't know about these. And so I'm going to give you three questions that every time you read the Bible, you should be thinking about these questions and, and what the text gives and the answer to these. The first is this. What does the author say? Context um, with anything you read, but especially with, with Scripture, comes in broad strokes, not short phrases. In other words, we can't just open up the Bible, point at a couple words and say, oh, this, this, this phrase right here applies to my life. No, it, it's written in a paragraph. It's written in a chapter. It's written in a book. And what that book has to say matters to what the things that we read in that book have to say. And the second thing that's tied into that is what did the author originally mean? There was an, there was an audience that this author, when they wrote, had in mind. And so what did they mean when they were communicating to these people? 
How would they have understood it? How are they reading it in their context? Because that matters. And the third thing is this, is what does it mean for us today? What are the theological, what are the spiritual, what are the ethical implications, the principles that are being communicated that still apply to our lives today? Because when we ask those questions and when we read the text, it changes our lives. It brings about transformation. Transformation.